Welcome to Exhibition, an Xbox podcast episode number 10. We are finally hitting double digits. My name is Samuel Adams, and Exhibition is a weekly show dedicated entirely to the world of Xbox and the biggest news stories coming out on a week-to-week basis. Always a lot happening in this side of the gaming industry, and that's not changing this week because some pretty big delays have hit not only Xbox consoles, but on top of that, other players on other platforms as well because Ubisoft has pushed two of their big games, including Rainbow Six Extraction, further down the road. On top of that, Xbox has seen a massive comeback and was the best-selling console in the month of June. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And then Valve has a new handheld on the way that could essentially be the Xbox handheld that we've always wanted, assuming you are willing to pay the price for that, which can be a bit extravagant depending on how much you are wanting to invest in your handheld gaming experience. But before we dive into all of that, Thank you for supporting 10 episodes of Exhibition and Xbox Podcast so far. Of course, I changed the way that I have been creating content very drastically over the course of the past couple of months, and it's freed up a ton of time in my personal life to where I can spend more time with family and friends while also being able to enjoy some more games and still create solid content for you all. I hope you're having fun. I know that I enjoy doing exhibition on a weekly basis. But enough of the gooey stuff, let's go ahead and get into this week's top video game news in the world of Xbox. Let's talk about the two big delays of the week coming out of the Ubisoft camp because Rainbow Six Extraction has been pushed from its original release date of September the 16th all the way until January of 2022, while Riders Republic has been pushed back from September the 2nd all the way to October the 28th. First and foremost, Always delay a game if it needs to be delayed because day one for a game sets the foundation for the rest of that game's life. It's very important to have a solid experience from the very beginning so that you can iterate and improve upon that, but that fans don't really have a reason to complain right out of the gate, and that is a very big element when it comes to setting a game up for long-term success. With that being said, these two games are already facing pretty big uphill battles, so they need to be as good as they can possibly be, and I'll explain uh, what I mean by that. Rainbow Six Extraction, in my mind, is trying to prove that it's not just a half-baked Rainbow Six Siege expansion that has been cut off and put in its own box. That's what it's trying to prove in my mind. And the gameplay that has been shown off earlier this year certainly does show that there is a lot to love. It certainly does show that there is something unique here, but I still think there is more that needs to be done. And so it's very important that this team does as good as they can from the very beginning to ensure that fans are satisfied with the final product does hit the shelf and of course you can iterate you can improve upon the game after release but it does need to be very very solid with really good core gameplay mechanics that set it apart from rainbow six siege Uh, now in regards to those mechanics ubisoft addressed that in the official press release alongside the announcement of the delay they say quote Our ambition with Rainbow Six Extraction is to deliver a full-fledged AAA experience that changes the way you play and think about cooperative games. With unique features like missing an action or the sprawl, every mission is set to be tense and challenging experience in which you'll lead the elite operators of Rainbow Six Siege, or I should say of Rainbow Six, in a fight against a lethal and evolving alien threat. 
We are embracing the opportunity to take additional time to bring this vision to life in the way it deserves in January 2022. We are confident this will ensure Rainbow Six Extraction is the immersive, cooperative, and thrilling experience we set out to create in the one you aspire to play. First and foremost, love the fact that they're calling out these two individual unique features. Uh, I think that is where this game is going to shine because, again, they have to set it apart from Rainbow Six Siege. So hopefully the team is able to deliver on this and they have a couple of more months to do so. In regards to Riders Republic, they said, quote, To ensure we can deliver the best game for all players, we have made the tough decision to delay our release from September 2nd to October 28th. This will give us more time to fine-tune the experience and give you another chance to jump in before launch and provide feedback. So this is a bit of a different scenario. Again, just under two months of a delay, which is not that bad. And on top of that, it seems like you are still going to be getting some hands-on time with the game in the form of what is likely to be some kind of open beta, which is always big for these multiplayer-centric games. I think the important part here is that Riders Republic nails the feel of each of the different kinds of sports that are included in the game. You know, whether you're riding a bike or whether you're gliding, whatever you might be doing, it's important that the riders feel natural. It's important that the controls feel very good because this game is trying to prove itself uh, because it is a new IP. It's kind of in a genre that is well-defined. It's got a lot of leaders in the sports racing genre, and so it's important to show what unique element you can bring to the table and on top of that monetization how is this game going to uh, handle that is it going to be a skins based kind of situation there's a lot to balance within Riders Republic to set it up for success overwhelmingly I'm excited for both of these games I won't be picking up Riders Republic on day one that's more of a summer 2022 it's on sale this sounds fun let me give it a shot kind of game uh, because I'm not really a big extreme sports kind of guy when it comes to gaming love a good snowboarding game love a good skateboarding game Riders Republic I'm on the fence about because I feel like it's trying to do a lot of things okay versus doing one thing very very well but if these developers take the additional time to fine-tune the way the game feels and to make something that feels good across every element of the game, then I think you could see something very special here. So that's exciting to see, and there is certainly potential. But between both of these, once again, Fall is looking more desolate than ever. Uh, really, the biggest games that you are going to see are Battlefield 2042, assuming that stays on track. Uh, you're looking at Halo Infinite. Uh, you're looking at whatever Sony has planned for this release season, because even that is looking pretty desolate in and of itself. I don't think we are going to be getting Horizon Forbidden West. Uh if that's even already delayed. So across the board, you are looking at a lot of games that are getting pushed back to 2022. So I would say next year is going to really be the year that next generation comes into its own. That's going to be the year that the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, number one, hopefully, fingers crossed, are in greater abundance in terms of production uh, and availability. But on top of that, in terms of the games you are actually going to be able to play that take full advantage of what the next generation of consoles actually has to offer. Because as it stands right now, even as somebody who adores the Xbox Series X and who would love to have an Xbox Series S, uh, although I don't really have a need for it since I have one big 4K TV and then I have a TV behind me in the bedroom, uh, but it's 
still a game console that I used to play last generation games primarily. There are certainly games that come out that have next generation upgrades, uh, but overwhelmingly there isn't that much to play on it. And the same could be said for the PlayStation 5. Once you get past Spider-Man Returnal and Demon Souls and a couple of other ones here and there, there isn't that much to play. I think that both of these consoles could certainly use some next generation love and they will be getting that in 2022. But once again, uh, never be mad at developers for the release dates getting pushed. Never get frustrated by that. And it's okay to be disappointed. Uh, but it's important to remember that we're still facing the uh, remains of a global pandemic. We're still feeling the impact that this uh, change in workflow has had on these big AAA projects. And on top of that, indies have also been impacted as well. Uh, so it's important to remember that as you're looking at these release dates and as you're thinking about the games that are coming out, it's okay. At the end of the day, it's just a game and that's perfectly fine. Speaking of next-gen hardware, I do want to kick it over to Benji Sales on Twitter who writes, quote, Xbox Series X and S was the number one platform in the US for the month of June in dollar sales, with Switch still leading in units via the NPD. It was the biggest June ever in Xbox brand history in dollar sales, breaking the previous record set back in 2011, huge results, and a big month for Xbox, end quote. Indeed, a massive month for Xbox, and it's pretty impressive to think that this is breaking a record from 2011, which I would consider to be the height of the Xbox 360 popularity, which was a monumental console. For a lot of people uh, that were playing that console in middle school and high school, it was a massive uh, win for Xbox back in the day, and this is an even bigger win today. However, with that being said, I do think there are a couple of elements that go into this success that are worth considering, and so I'm going to echo what Paul Tassie says on Forbes because he puts my thoughts into words very, very well. He says, quote, My guess is two main things drove the success of Xbox in that month in particular. One, availability. In the current state of the market, pretty much every modern day console is selling out either immediately or in a short amount of time. So simply the ability to make and ship more units than your competition is a big factor here. Sure, it's possible maybe more people wanted PS5s than Xboxes, but if Sony could not produce them and Microsoft had higher output numbers, that could be a significant portion of the difference here. Number two, momentum. As I said, Xbox had a pretty stellar June. Xbox Game Pass has become such a good deal, its marketing campaign is now an internet meme. E3 showed off a large number of promising projects from Microsoft, with this fall in particular bringing massive titles like Forza and Halo Infinite, and Infinite in particular had a complete Perception 180, showing off footage that looks infinitely uh -huh, better than we saw last year before its delay. Add to that the knowledge that tons of huge Bethesda games like Starfield are indeed going to be Xbox exclusive going forward, and many people decided maybe it was time to pull the trigger on Xbox for the long term at last. I think both of those points pretty much hit the nail on the head for what is happening here because first and foremost, you finally see the payoff for what Microsoft has been doing with the Xbox Series X and S and the acquisition they made through ZeniMax Media and in recent years, the acquisitions they've seen with Double Fine and so many other companies. Uh, the Xbox Game Studios brand is finally showing the value of getting on board with Xbox. And I think for those that are not deeply invested in the gaming community, 
for those that don't listen to podcasts like this, for those that don't stay tuned into the conversation, just those that want to play games and they come to the choice of PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X, both of these are good options. And so if one's available and one's not, they might just go ahead and pull the trigger on the one that is. And I think that the brand significance of PlayStation makes those sell much, much faster than Xbox in the current state of affairs. Now, that's not to say that Xbox Series X and S won't sell out almost immediately, but I've had the opportunity to get multiple consoles that I haven't taken up in the Xbox world. So it's clear that either Microsoft's production is a lot higher than PlayStation's, or people are just trying like crazy to get a PlayStation 5, and it's much more difficult to obtain one right now, which does play well for Microsoft because again they can fill that void where somebody that's not dedicated to a specific brand could come in and experience the value the Game Pass has to offer. They can see the new games that are coming out in the future and with that kicking off in just a couple of weeks with the Ascent and then really coming into its own with Forza and Halo this holiday, that's when the Xbox brand really does shine for those that may be newcomers. Now with that being said, I also think that you do have the, again, momentum of Game Pass. You see a lot of people talking about this subscription service, which is shaking up the gaming industry. PlayStation Now doesn't hold a flame to this service. And then you also have Game Pass coming to mobile devices, including iOS devices now. And so I think that is a big element here because a lot of people see getting into Xbox as getting into this ecosystem rather than just buying a console and some games a la Nintendo or something similar to that. It's a much more affordable way to get your hands on the hottest games of the season and in seasons to come. And so I think that's where the Xbox Series X and S really do hold their value. And that's why it was the biggest uh, selling unit in terms of dollar sales for the month of June. So congratulations to the team at Microsoft. A very exciting time uh, to be a fan of Xbox. And I will say that this is something that is going to gain the attention of Sony and somewhat Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo is kind of in their own little field, and we've talked about it before here, but each of these companies is doing their own thing. PlayStation focusing on exclusive, Xbox focusing on the experience, Nintendo focusing on delivering solid hardware that is not the most powerful hardware, but it brings exclusive experiences you can't get anywhere else. These are three different approaches that are perfectly acceptable, and as long as you're having fun, you're having a good time. But I do think that Xbox is bringing the heat, and I think that whenever the competition sees what they are trying to do, that could definitely have an impact, a positive impact, on the way that especially Sony perceives the PlayStation 5 going forward. I think that as Xbox continues to become a bigger competitor in the space, you'll start to see them take a couple of notes. In the same way that Phil Spencer has said they love what Sony has done with the DualSense controller and they want to bake that potentially into future iterations of the Xbox controller, you could see Sony say, we want to take that Game Pass idea and bring it into our ecosystem and try it out and see what a PlayStation Game Pass could look like. We'll see what happens again. I think Sony is pretty set in their ways, but I could have said the same thing about Microsoft just a couple of years ago. Now let's move on and talk about this Steam Deck, because it does have some kind of significance in the world of Xbox. Some people have called this the Xbox handheld that Microsoft now doesn't have to make because effectively this exists. This is something that has been rumored for a very long time. This is the Gabe Boy, as some have called it. Uh, but it's a handheld Steam PC gaming machine. And although the specs are not that impressive on the surface, 
it seems like a lot of people are really going after this because I've seen nothing uh, on my timeline about people trying to pre-order this uh, since pre-orders went live on Friday and now I think they're pretty much sold out uh, but this is something where it reserves your spot for five bucks and then you pay the full price later on. There are three different models of this machine starting at $399 and going all the way up to $650 depending on the speed you would like to load at and on top of that depending on the screen quality you would like to have. It's a little bit convoluted and I do think that this is a bit of an archaic system. It's clear that Valve is not really a hardware producer. In my opinion, what Valve does well is make games. That's what they thrive in. Uh, but they have been branching out into hardware with the Steam Controller and the Steam Box, uh, which we've seen recently, but now this is the latest in the new editions. So, cutting to the chase, what does this thing actually do? Quote from Polygon, it features a 7-inch touchscreen, two thumbsticks, a D-pad, and a 4-button layout. There are also two trackpads, one on either side of the machine under the thumbsticks, to allow for increased precision. The Steam Deck has eight triggers on its back, four on the device's shoulders, and four more where the ring and pinky fingers rest. The Steam Deck will run games from existing players' Steam libraries. Players will simply log into their account, and their friends and catalog should follow them onto the handheld. The Steam Deck is capable of running PC games on its own hardware without the power of the cloud. Videos released by Valve show people using the Steam Deck to natively play games such as Baldur's Gate 3, Crusader Kings 3, Disco Elysium, Hades, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Players can also purchase a dock that allows the Steam Deck to run on a TV, very similar to the Nintendo Switch I might add. Inside, the Steam Deck boasts an accelerated processing unit built by AMD. Its CPU is based on the company's Zen 2 microarchitecture and tops out at 3.5 GHz. The GPU contains 8 RDNA 2 compute units running it up to 1.6 GHz, delivering peak performance of 1.6 teraflops. The system packs 16 gigs of RAM and a micro SD card slot, allowing users to expand upon the built-in storage. The Steam Deck's 7-inch screen is an LCD with a 16 to 10 aspect ratio and a 60Hz refresh rate at a 720p resolution of 1280 by 800 The Steam Deck also features a dual-band 802.LLAC, don't know what that means, Wi-Fi radio. It's compatible with 2.4GHz and 5GHz networks, and Bluetooth 5.0 for controllers, accessories, and unlike the Switch, audio. That's a pretty big one for me. So what's the difference between each of these versions? In short, it's the speed of the memory and the variation between the screen quality. So this is again from Polygon, quote, the 399 base model offers 64 gigs of storage in the eMMC format. The next model up cost 529 and packs faster storage courtesy of a five, excuse me, 256 gigabyte PCIe 3.0 NVMe SSD and also comes with an exclusive Steam Community Profile Bundle. The top-tier Stream Deck at 649 includes a 512GB NVMe SSD that Valve refers to as high speed, although it is still a PCIe 3.0 drive. In addition, this model screen features premium anti-glare edged glass. The unit comes with an exclusive carrying case and exclusive virtual keyboard theme on top of the cheaper model's bonuses. So, 
In short, this is the Nintendo Switch Pro that people never really got to see from Nintendo as of yet. Now, this is not something, in my opinion, that is trying to compete with the Nintendo Switch, because Nintendo, again, is not focusing on having the most powerful hardware in the handheld space or in the console space. They're just trying to make good hardware that can run good games, and they do very well at that. Now with Valve, uh, this is by no means packing the power of a 3090 into a handheld, but this is roughly about half the power of an Xbox Series S. And so, in the handheld space, for a 1280 by 800 screen at 60 hertz, that's going to be some pretty good performance. Uh, and so I think it's going to perform very, very well. Now this is not something that I am remotely interested in picking up because it is a pound and a half first and foremost. On top of that, it also gets between two and eight hours of battery life, I think is what the official uh, documentation says. So uh, with that being said, not exactly the most reassuring uh, device in terms of playtime. I mean, obviously the Nintendo Switch Lite isn't working magic, uh, but two hours of playtime for a high quality game does not sound that promising. And then on top of that, it doesn't really come with the dock. So this is a handheld device, first and foremost, that can be plugged into a television that does get you access to 4K at 120 or 8K at 60 hertz. So that's nice to see, but it's probably unlikely that this will actually be able to run anything in 8K. This is connected to the world of Xbox because effectively it's a very open platform because of the compatibility that Steam is baking into this device, or I should say that Valve is baking into this device uh, because it does have SteamOS 3.0 Proton, uh, which is a compatibility layer, according to Polygon again, that allows Windows games to run on Linux without any porting work needed from developers. So you can directly install the Xbox app with the .exe file and you are ready to go. You can directly install basically any game you want without needing to have it directly impacted by developers or really touched at all. It's just ready to go. So this is a handheld gaming PC effectively. That's pretty significant. Uh, and I will say, I'm somebody who is very comfortable in the console space. I'm very comfortable with the uh, availability that Xbox provides and with the availability that other companies provide. But I've seen a lot of people saying that the indies that they want to play are mainly released on PC, and it could take years for these games to come to the Nintendo Switch for a handheld experience. So, this provides access for those big indie fans to the latest indie games, and it's all available in a handheld device uh, that is directly compatible and designed specifically for Steam. So that's super significant for that group of people. And that's kind of the point that I want to drive home. I was talking some shit on Twitter earlier this week, not even going to beat around the bush, uh, just talking about this thing being a pound and a half. And quite frankly, the design of it does not look that comfortable to me. The thumbsticks look to be very high up on the device. And for some reason, Valve is obsessed with putting touch controls on everything. Uh, but all of that to the side, this isn't a device that's meant for me. It's not designed for me. I'm not the target consumer. And that's okay. But I will also say, somebody out there loves this. Many, many people love it. I've been following along on Twitter. And so every device, every piece of hardware, every game is designed for someone. And that's not always going to be you. It's not always going to be me. 
but that's all right because somebody else out there is going to love it. So if you want to get in on it, again, this thing launches this December, a bit pricey at $399 for flash memory, uh, but for those SSDs, you will be paying a little bit more at $529 and $649. So good luck. Again, the pre-orders or the reservations have officially closed, I think, but hey, could be coming in the future as well. So stay tuned for more information. But that wraps up this week's episode of Exhibition, and Xbox podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you like what you've heard, hit that subscribe button on YouTube and your podcast service if you have not already and get the show delivered to you every single Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. I love talking about Xbox with you all, and I would love to see you get involved in the conversation. Hit me up on Twitter at JamPackSam or drop a comment down below letting me know what you think about everything we discussed this week. But until next time, you guys have a fantastic rest of the week, and I'll talk to you soon.